It's the first Sunday of Advent, 2011. Can you believe it? And we are joining together with Christians throughout history and all over the world to begin to celebrate Advent, this period, as John, you pointed out, of anticipation of something or someone momentous who comes in and changes things. And really what, what we're going to be thinking about is something that from Genesis 3 in our world, everything started to go wrong. Those of you who are new to church, you can read that. And then about three-fourths of the Bible is really about anticipation for something or someone momentous to come. Did you know that? About three-fourths of the Bible, waiting, waiting, waiting. For God said He loved the world and He was going to come again through the Messiah to make everything new, to, to offer new hope. Waiting. That's what Advent is about. Or someone momentous to come. As I thought about this year's Advent season, uh, I thought about Edgar Degas' uh, wonderful painting called Waiting. If you haven't seen it, you should go down to our wonderful Norton Simon Museum right here in Pasadena, and you can take a look at it. Um, it's a striking portrayal, you see a picture of it right there, of two people who on the surface, don't they look very, very different? And because they look on the surface to be such different people, many art historians and many art critics have said that really Degas' painting is about a study in contrasts. He just wanted to show how different people are. Uh, one is old, the other one is young. Uh, the one is an athletic dancer dressed in this dazzling costume. The other is an old woman who is shabbily dressed. One, some critics will say, reflects the glamour that some experience in this world, while the bent old woman represents the drabness of life. A, a study in contrasts, they say. But I want you to look at it again. And I see something different. Uh, I think what we see there is not so much a study in contrasts as it is a study in how two people who on the surface would appear to be very, very different really have something in common. I think Dega is, is calling us to see something that unites us as human beings in, in a very deep and personal way. Because both of these women, as, as different as they may seem to be, were, as he entitled the painting, waiting. Powerfully asks us to, to ask this question, what are they waiting for? <laughs> uh, do you think the dancer is waiting for her boyfriend? You think the older woman is waiting for her son who hasn't shown up to pick her up? Uh, do you think the uh, young woman is waiting for the verdict to come from a dance competition? I mean, whatever it is, all that we can see are both of these women who are sitting on a bench, apparently exhausted, and then you begin to see it, both of them with heads down, shoulders bent, stooped. Uh, they're waiting, waiting for something or someone to come and change things. Something in their lives is missing. I, I don't want you to forget that painting throughout the entire sermon. At the end, I'll bring it back again so that you won't. In fact, I don't want us to forget that painting throughout this entire Advent season. Because I think Degas is trying to get us to experience what the Advent season is all about. The fact that the world was longing for something that though in the very beginning, Genesis 2, people had walked and talked with God, 
we walked away from God and everything went wrong. And yet God keeps saying, I'll come back and, and make things right. And there was this longing, this, this waiting. The prophets had talked about it, about a difference maker to come into this world and to provide a rescue from, from things that are wrong. I mean, what's wrong? Our own sin. Uh, Jeff, as he prayed about it, talked about those in our, in our world who were saying, uh, there's hunger here, there, there's oppression here, there, there are political systems here that just seems to be wrong. A whole world longing for things to become different. And the Bible tells us that the one that the world really has waited for is Jesus. And, and the great Advent carol writers would write songs about this. We've sung them today, haven't we? Did you notice it? Come. Long expected Jesus, talking about that three quarters of the Bible, waiting for the one to come. Come, Lord Jesus, born to set your people free. Come, not just for our people, the people of Israel. Come, desire of nations, because this one was to bring blessing to all people. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, as we mourn in exile until the Son of God appears. So this uh, Advent season, we're going to do what followers of Jesus have always done. I mean, at Advent season, in one sense, you always do the same thing. We take time to realize that the one for whom the whole world is longing has indeed come. And we're going to be looking at him. Who is this child who came? We're going to be looking at him in four different ways throughout the uh, season of Advent. But at the same time, especially this week, this Advent season on the first Sunday of Advent, you know, we call it um, Prophecy Sunday. We look back to the centuries before Jesus came that the prophets told us how he would come so that we would be able to identify him. But today, I'm going to stop and think about something that I think we too often ignore at Advent season, namely this, and you know it's true, that even though the one that the whole world had been waiting for has come, the majority of people in our world are still waiting. Something's missing. And I want to also talk about something else. Because I've been a churchgoer for a long time. You know, you didn't hire a 20-year-old pastor, did you? Just look at him and you'll know that's true. I've been at this a long time, and I know this too, that there are so many of us who go to church who know that we have found the one that we had been waiting for, and yet still we come to church and we feel sometimes that something, something is missing. And I'm praying that our inner beings will be filled with the one for whom we were made. And I'm praying that God will do a wonderful work in opening our eyes and our hearts together to see this one for whom the world waited, to see him in a new way. Uh, This matter of of waiting is something that people have written about for so long. Uh, If you read, like you know I do, C.S. Lewis or, or Tolkien... You know, they would talk about it as an inconsolable longing for something that this world just doesn't seem to be able to satisfy. I was reading an an editorial, I think it was in the New York Times from a few weeks ago, in which the editorialist, the sociologist, called it an underlying disappointment. And he said, "If, if we look around the world... We see that even though our world is divided in so many ways by language or or skin color, different cultures, he says we are seeing right now that there is something that unites all people. And it was this, this underlying disappointment with things the way they are. He said if you look into the Middle East or into Northern Africa 
and all the rebellion that is happening against the oppressive uh, political systems that have been there and the dictators who have been there. It is that that they had sensed that as one dictator would come in, so many things were promised. And yet that person would use his power simply for himself, and the people were left with almost nothing. So there, it's this underlying disappointment, he said, that, that is leading to this rebellion against uh, totalitarian governments all around the world. What do you think? Then he said, but looking into our own country, where we don't have that kind of uh, dictatorship, he said, what we, see, we see the same longing, the same disappointment, coming out in the Occupy movement, which is a rather vague crying out for something, to change something that's wrong. Looking at Wall Street originally and saying, well, there are some people who are getting ahead and I'm not. And they're using their money and their power to keep us oppressed and, or political powers or somebody that we've got to occupy. Uh, but then we look at the people who have what all of them are looking for, the political power or the, the money or the prestige or the fame here in, in Southern California. And what do we see in their lives? We just see that still something is missing. An inconsolable longing that they thought this might be filled by, by, by being able to get power or, or money or authority. Uh, C.S. Lewis would talk about this as the thing that led him to Jesus. And in his mere Christianity, it was really through the tremendous witness of, of Tolkien, um, in mere Christianity he wrote this. I've shown it to you before. He said, so if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy. How are we to understand it? The most probable explanation, Lewis said, is that I was made for another world. And so we have people longing for things, and often, especially when we are young, we just thought, ah, someday I'll be able to get it. And eventually we begin to realize, oh, huh, maybe I'll just keep trying, or maybe I'll ignore it, and we become... As Pink Floyd, any of you my age, do you remember that song, Uncomfortably Numb? Don't sing it with me, but I'll show you at least one part of it that I think is good. Um, when I was a child, I caught a fleeting glimpse, glimpse out of the corner of my eye. I turned to look, but it was gone. I cannot put my finger on it now. The child has grown. The dream is gone. And I have become comfortably numb. Thinking that maybe all that we have experienced is all there is. And that what we've experienced is something temporary and temporal. Well, today we are going to start looking at Advent and realizing that that one for whom we were made has indeed come. And we're going to be looking at the book of Colossians, an unusual place to look, I know it had been. But Colossians chapter 1 to be our Advent guide. Uh, it, the, the church in Colossae was a church that Paul, who wrote the letter to them, he'd never visited it. He didn't found that church, which is going to be a, a point I'm going to make a, a couple of times. Instead, somebody who had come to know the gospel, probably through Paul's preaching in another city of Ephesus, had heard the message of Jesus, and what they'd been looking for, this inconsolable longing, had been filled with Jesus, and he simply had to carry it out. So he carried it to his hometown of Colossae, and they had found Jesus. And, and a whole church of people had come to know Jesus. And eventually the whole world was beginning to hear about how these people, mostly not Jewish people, 
had found that disappointment to be satisfied in the person of Jesus. And we're going to be thinking about who this Jesus is that the world had been waiting for and who's supposed to fill our souls. Now, I'll just tell you a little bit about these people in Colossae. Uh, I think many of their teachers and thinkers would have agreed with much of my sermon up to now. I think they would have said, yes, that pastor you're listening to is right about this, that human beings have been made for something that they haven't found and they're just looking around for it. But some of them seemed to be saying, we have found the mystery to it all. And it's only for the elite, those who are able to find, you know, just the mystery of the truth, then you're able to really live. And Paul writes the book, the letter of the Colossians, and one of the things he says is, it is not just for the elite. What we have been made for has now been made known in this world, and he is not just for a few, but for all nations. And the message is to get to all the world. And if you look at Colossians 1.27, he will declare it. The mystery that we have been made for, the mystery that all people long for is this. Christ in you. He is the hope of glory. So this, this um, Christmas season, we are going to think about what child is this. And today I want us to think about the fact that he is the one who fills that inner void, that, that thing that I think Devin saw the woman on the park bench knowing that something was missing and that she needed to find Jesus to fill. So today, because we just have a few moments, we'll come back to it each week of Advent. So you've got to come every week. Those of you visiting from Boston or wherever you're from, you've got to fly back in every Sunday. The rest of us, I hope you won't miss any. But today we're going to think about Jesus as being the one who is the desire of the nations, what the world is longing for. I'm going to make four points about us. Number one, something about, that's true about each one of us. That we are formed by the influence of authorities in our lives. Uh, I think we just need to own this about us as, as human beings. That those who are authorities in our lives have, have a big shaping influence upon us. Uh, parents definitely do. We often talk about our teachers as having a shaping influence, right? And, and sometimes I used to think that those who had the real shaping influence in people's lives were kindergarten and first grade teachers. And I thought, well, yeah, kids are so formative then that their parents and then their, their teachers just really have a huge influence. Anybody remember your kindergarten or first grade teacher? Uh, I do. My first grade teacher, I didn't go to kindergarten. My brother was two years older. He taught me everything he learned. So anyway, it was really true. Uh, but I do remember my first grade teacher. Her name was Mrs. Legg. She was a great teacher. The world's best first grade teacher ever. I just know that's true. Because I think my uh, love of reading, my love of learning, so much was shaped by my first grade teacher. I, I wonder if any of you had that same experience. But then, you know, these years before I came to Lake, and I was a, a head of a university where the majority of our students at Trinity were graduate level students, so they were older. I was always amazed at how even grad level students had their lives shaped by their teachers. It's because that's the way we are. 
those who become uh, our authorities, those, uh, become the people who often shape so much of our beings. Uh, Fred Rogers, also known as Mr. Rogers, <laughs> used to talk about this a lot. Uh, anybody remember Mr. Rogers? Those of you a whole lot younger than me don't, don't remember him. He spoke in so many places. He often spoke at the White House. He spoke at the Pentagon. He spoke to people of great, great power. And in one of his uh, books, he wrote about one time that he was speaking at the White House. And many of the uh, military brass uh, were there to hear him. And he did what he almost always did when he spoke at places like this. He said, I want us to stop for one minute. And I want you to take a moment to remember one person who has made a big difference in your life. Maybe you should try to do that now. Because I've talked about us being shaped by authorities. One person who has made a big difference in your life. Uh, people almost always, he would write, think of uh, parents or, or grandparents or teachers. Many would write about good bosses. <laughs> good bosses uh, shaping their lives. Well, at one of these White House briefings, uh, an army general, when he was done, as, as Mr. Rogers walked out of the room, and I imagine this army general of Mr. Rogers must have been as different as day and night, don't you imagine? But as Mr. Rogers walked out, he saw this army general weeping. And, and the general said to him, thank you for that, Mr. Rogers. He said, in that one minute you gave us to think of people who had influenced us for the first time in many years, I remembered my grandfather's brother, when I was a child, he's the one that I remembered who loved me. And I was only seven years old when he died. But even then, I never forgot that he loved me. And before he died, he gave me his fishing rod. And I just now was thinking, maybe that's why I like fishing so much. Maybe why I take my kids and the kids in our community out to learn how to fish. See, the point I'm trying to make is authorities in our lives influence and shape the way we live life. Now, I can almost imagine some of you are saying, well, I, I know that's true, Pastor Greg, but some of the authorities in my life haven't been all that positive. Anybody think that? Haven't been all that positive. And I know, I know that that's true. Um, Garrison Keillor will write about... Do you ever read... Uh, see, I'm, I'm bringing you to all these things I listen to and read. Garrison Keillor, the, the Minnesota storyteller, he jokingly, kind of jokingly, sort of says that all of the problems that all human beings have can go back to one problem, to a distant father. So don't ask my son Brandon about that. So any, anyway, on the other side, some of you come from places where your, your fathers or mothers were not distant. In fact, you think they were too controlling and many of you who come from extended families, like the world of Jesus, it, you sometimes feel like even if God himself spoke to your parents, they wouldn't let you have him be the God. They, they have to be the controlling ones. And what happens then, of course, is that we feel like we have to live our whole lives trying to please people that we feel like we can never please. Here in the United States society, there's been a complete rejection of that kind of parental family authority over the many, many years. And individualism has set in. And in rejecting other authorities, American society as a whole, we, we often want to make ourselves our own authorities. So I'll just shape my own life. But that's no way to live. I, I think it's that tendency that has led to our society being a place where people don't make real, deep, lasting commitments. 
because our lives centered around ourselves. So you say sometimes, Pastor, you're talking about authority shaping our lives, but sometimes the authority shaping my lives are dysfunctional. But that still proves my point, doesn't it? <laughs> whether, whether healthy or unhealthy, we are made in such a way that, that, that there are people in our lives that shape us. And even if it is for the good, let me tell you this, there is no one or nothing in this world that is fully adequate to shape us to become all we were meant to be. Because there is one main authority that we have been made to be shaped by. And He is the one that people are longing for. So that's the first point I want to make. You and I have been made to be shaped by something that there is nothing in this temporary material world that can fill it. And actually no one either, except one. Except, except one. Alright, point two. Another fact about us all. At least I believe this. And I think the Bible teaches it. All of us were created to have God. To be that central authority that shapes our lives. Colossians 1.5. What Paul says about this group of people shows us that their lives had begun to be shaped by God. What does he say? We have heard about you. <laughs> Your faith in Christ Jesus in verse 4. The faith, verse 5, and love that spring from the hope that's been stored up in you. You see what he's saying? There, there were people who showed up at church there in Colossae listening to the sermon who had found what the world was longing for. A, a life in which there was a confident faith that flowed out into a life of love, loving all people, and a life that was always filled with an unquenchable hope. They had found it. And when you look at what they had found, they had come to faith in Christ Jesus. See, what they had been needing there in this city, these individuals who were in the church had found it. Now, I've, I've talked about this before, but let me just drive it home one more time. You and I are human. And as human beings, Genesis chapter 1, there was something different about us from all the rest of creation. God said, let us make male and female man in our image. We're made in the image of God. And then as you read on, the Bible says people made in the image of God are people whose lives need to be shaped by the God in whose image we are made. But Genesis chapter 3, that's the very thing people did. They, they walked away from God, making themselves their own authority. You, you know the, the temptation for the fruit that was there. Um, and they took it. The problem was not the fruit. The problem was the choice. That instead of having God as the, the one who is at the center of their lives, they put themselves into His place. I'm going to go my own way. And tragedy has happened ever since. But God keeps coming after us. That's what Advent is about. God promising that He will come in a Messiah who would provide a way that the sins and, and the self-centeredness that have kept us from God can be forgiven. And He can come back into our inner beings. And you and I can begin to live. See, this is the Gospel. He uses this word, the word of truth. The good news. Jesus, the one who is in very nature God, came to change things. He, he alone lived the life we should have lived, but none of us have. 
then died the death that we should have to die for our sins, but now don't have to because He did it. So that when we place our faith in Him, He will cast our sins as far as east is from the west. And He will come into us, giving us God's Spirit. And our lives begin to be reshaped. See, this is what the world had been longing for. And Jesus came to be that one. That's what the carol writer... So when you're walking through the mall or sitting in the dentist office and they play Christmas music and the rest of the world listens to this and they think they don't have any idea what it's about. And when O Holy Night comes on, I want you to listen for this line. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till He appeared... And the soul felt its worth, a thrill of hope. A weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees. See, that's what this is about. The one that we were made for has come and is ready to come into us. And that brings me to the third point. I'll get there quickly. Our only hope then is Jesus. He came to make it possible for God to come into our lives. Uh, The whole point that you will look at in Colossians 1 is that Jesus was the one the whole world had been waiting for. And according to the Bible, and one of the things that I just love about the Bible, you've heard me say this before, is that when I look at it with questions like this, it explains us to us. Do you see that? It explains us to us. We see these things that happen all around us in the world. We even look inside of our own beings. When we hear it, we say, yeah, that's the way we are. Why is it that way? And the Bible explains us to us. So the Bible is saying that the only way to fill that longing for something more than I've experienced, that that disappointment for something to satisfy, is to bring the one for whom we were made into our inner beings. The Bible talks about this in so many ways. Uh, John 1.12, to as many as receive him, bringing him into our lives. He gives the power, the right, to be called children of God. See, that's what Jesus says. Believe in me, bring me into your life, and you will have. And his word was eternal life, which really has confused a lot of people. Because if eternal life is only life that goes on and on and on and on, and our lives are already bored or mundane or filled with injustice or whatever we feel, then an eternal life like that is no heaven. Eternal life, according to Jesus, is much more. It is life that only the eternal God can give. It's what I've been talking about this morning, the life that God created us to experience. It's what Jesus would call in another place, John 10.10, abundant life, life to the full. That very thing that all the world is longing for, that desire of nations, I am the one who has come to bring it. Bring me into your life and then begin to live. It's what both of those women on Dagon's bench were waiting for. They may not have known it. But when I looked at that, I thought, that's it. That is it. Which brings me to the uh, fourth point. That that can happen to us. That that inconsolable longing can be filled. And what happens then, just like it happened with the church in Colossae, we become the evidence the evidence that Jesus is what the world is longing for. And then also we become the bearers of that good news. 
Do you see that when I write it up there? Does that make sense to you? We become both the evidence and the bearers of God's good news to the world. Uh, so the evidence. The Colossian church had become that. Um, their lives at one point had been marked by this inconsolable longing. They had found Jesus and now their lives were characterized by faith and love in Christ Jesus. And the other thing I just love about this is the evidence that God was at work was there in verse 4. We've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people. See, uh, Colossae was a very diverse community. So I'm sure, just like every other diverse community, uh, their, their relationships were all carved up. Different people hanging out with different people and not having anything to do with people who were different from them. And when Jesus came in, he uncarved it. <laughs> he uncarved it. <laughs> He brought different people back together and so they had a love for all God's people. All God's people. And I love the way that it's put there as you look at it. Let me just read it. So if people were thinking about that church in Colossae, this is what they were saying. Paul said, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and we have heard of the love that you have for all God's people. I'm talking about, he said, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard the true message of the gospel that has come to you. And in the same way, it's not just for you. This good news, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout uh, the whole world. See, they were the evidence. They were the evidence of this good news that what the world is longing for, there were a group of people who were beginning really to find new life and it was changing their lives. Life can never be the same once he's come in. And actually the Apostle Paul was also evidence of that. Look at chapter 1, verse 1. Just notice this little phrase. I bet you skip this all the time. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Do you know he hadn't always been that? For so much of his life he would have described himself in a different way. Paul, the rabbi. Paul, the well-educated person. Paul, the person who couldn't stand these nuts who were calling themselves Jesus followers, like people who go to Lake Avenue Church. His, that was his worldview. Uh, in fact, he persecuted Christians. But he'd always been longing. He, he'd had this longing, waiting for Messiah to come. And in fact, one of the reasons why he killed Christians was many of them had an idea that the, all of the people of Israel had to set their longing together upon the coming of Messiah so that Messiah would come. And when he saw this group of people thinking that Jesus was the Messiah, he thought, oh no, that will keep the real Messiah from coming. So he was trying to wipe out Christians so that his longed-for Messiah could come. But now he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. What had happened? He met Jesus. And his whole way of thinking and living had changed. And let me just tell you something. That's what always happens, right? When he comes into our lives, we can no longer be selfians, followers of self. Our whole world changes. We become followers of Christ. And Paul's uh, testimony in his living letter, like Devin's this morning, his living letter, was uh, found in Philippians chapter 3. He said, everything I used to live for, I now consider everything a loss because he really is going to say, I found 
what I had had an unconsolable longing for. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have given up all those things. I even consider them garbage that I may find Christ and in his longing. I just want to know Christ. I want to become like him. I want him to shape my life. And he had begun to live. Not easy. He was in prison when he wrote these things, and, but he had found true, true life. So brothers and sisters, the same thing is to happen to us. I, I read these verses 4 and 5 and I think, oh, that's what I'm praying, that when people hear about Lake Avenue Church, they'll say, you know, whatever else they hear about us, they'll say, I have heard that this is real. We're hearing of the faith that is flowing out into a love for all the people and into a hope that even the economic crisis in California cannot quench. And that we can say, yes, we're evidence that something is different, right? But we're also witness to the one who makes a difference. We are witness to the good news of Jesus Christ. And on this first Sunday of Advent, I'm just telling you, brothers and sisters, this is what the world is waiting for. I wonder if we can put that Degas painting up one more time. I want us to respond, at least to this opening message today. And in doing so, I, I, I want you to take out this response card that should be in your worship folder. If you didn't get one, we have some here at the front, which is going to indicate to you what I want you to do. As you're looking at that picture of the two women very different, but in my view, not different at all. I want you to begin thinking and praying about people in your circle of relationships who are waiting. People that you really love, but you know that the very thing they were made for, they have not experienced. I want you to think about no more than three and begin putting their names even now as you think about them and ask, as you ask God to bring them to your mind. I'm going to be wanting you to pray for them through this Advent season. I'm going to be, ask you to pray that God would give you courage not only to be evidence of what Jesus can do, but also to bear witness to the one who can do it, not just in your life, but in his or hers. May I add one more thing? For those of us who are frequent churchgoers, I know so well that many of us know that the message I preached is true and yet still sometimes you go home and you say something is still missing. I've heard this testimony so many times and so many times I've also experienced that myself. Why is that true? I, I think it's true because there is still a part of us that we've held on to. And I am really praying that through this Advent season as we think about what child is this, that we will see Christ in a new way and have the totality of our inner being filled with Him. Do some of you remember that U2 song? Again, you don't have to sing it with me. But when Bono wrote this, and I heard it first, I, many people said no Christian thinks like this, but I'm telling you, those people who say that are wrong. He said, he wrote, I believe in the kingdom come. Then 
all the colors will bleed into one. But yes, I'm still running. You broke the bonds. You loosened the chains. You carried the cross in my shame. You know I believed it. But still, I haven't found what I'm looking for. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And if that to any measure expresses your own heart or life, I would like you to put your name on here as well. It may be that you don't want anybody to see your name on there. Write it in code. And then be praying throughout this entire Advent season that as you earnestly seek for the filling that Jesus came to bring, that you may experience that and have him shape your lives. I'm going to be asking my son. I was talking about this and my son Brandon found an old hymn. I've asked him and his new wife Kelsey to come up and sing it. And as they are going to be playing and singing, this is what I want you to do. I want you to have the courage to step up, step out from wherever you are. And you can see, you can break this card into two. And the bottom half is what I want you to have on the names. I want you to bring this. We're going to keep these visibly in front of us all through the Advent season. And every weekend we're going to be praying for the names. We're going to keep them in this little manger that we have put here. Then we're going to be praying that the names who are here may find the one that they are longing for. So as Kelsey and Brandon are singing for us, come and step out from wherever you are. In the balcony, we have places for you to come as well and baskets that can be brought there. And uh, be sure to do that even now. Let me lead us in prayer and then come, come as God leads you. So now, Father, bring people to our minds who are waiting, waiting for you. And Father, may they come to know the life that you alone can give through Jesus Christ. We already pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.